Father, I want to thank you that you are here with us. You were with us when we were celebrating our Christmas and enjoying family and friends and relatives. Uh, and, and Lord, I thank you for those who were able to travel so far to be with us and enjoy our celebration because we were and are celebrating Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And as we think about these truths this morning, I just ask that you would encourage us with these truths, and that, Father, that we would couple it with faith, and that, Lord, for the coming year in 2021, that, Lord, our lives is they're just yielded to you as our Lord and as our Savior. Do amazing things. Would you do that, God? Thank you so much. We invite you here to be our teacher, our instructor, our comforter, by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we had our typical Christmas celebration, and we had some people over, and Laura, thank you so much, she brought the eggnog and the lamb, and you know, various people pitched in, and the thing about the eggnog is that you just can't stop drinking it. It is so good. Uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know, it's, it's non-alcoholic, okay? And so, but we found this particular cup, and there was so much, the next day, somehow it got missed. We didn't wash it, and it was kind of tucked away a little bit, and yesterday, so that was the next day, there was, it was half full, but it was half full of like foam, okay? And it was just such rich, you know, creamy foam, and I looked at it, and I tried shaking it, and it wouldn't move. It was like totally stiff, and I said, this is amazing. Now, there's this little kid inside of me that loves to investigate, and as I'm shaking it around, I'm so amazed that it is dried and so stiff. I'm going like this. Do I need to even tell you the rest of the story? And suddenly, it just took, it took a few seconds because it was so stiff, I was amazed. And all of a sudden, gush, and half a cup of liquid dumped on me. And, you know, I'm sitting down. You know how when you're sitting down, your shirt kind of folds a little bit? It's not because my gut was sticking up, but there's just this fold. And there's just this little puddle staying there. I said, and it's all over my pants, all over my shirt. And I said, Meredith, help. I am so glad that when she helped me, she didn't run to get her camera. Uh, I should say her, her uh, cell phone and, you know, text everybody in the church, Facebook, do whatever she could to send this picture viral. Instead, she did, she, she got what I asked and that was for a cloth, except she came back with about five cloths. And, but my wife, my point is, you know, <laughs> yeah, kids, oh my goodness, Wow. Yeah, I did so many stupid things as a kid. But my wife truly does love to take pictures. And the reason why she loves to take pictures, and I'm so grateful that in that moment she didn't take one, but in Christmas Day and all other occasions, I really am glad that she takes pictures. She loves to take pictures. As a matter of fact, every Christmas when my kids were little, she would take pictures, get a load of this, of every single gift they got. So we have five kids, two parents. We got about 15, maybe 20 gifts each. 
because we have grandparents at this time alive giving tons of gifts, and Meredith and I tried to bless them, and you're talking about gifts. We were over at the Furrah's home, and they had a wall of gifts around their Christmas. You could barely see the Christmas tree, and it was seven feet tall. You know, a wall of Christmas presents. They've got a large family, and I'm so glad. Honestly, that blessed me, by the way. I just thought, this family is so loved, and they love one another that they get gifts, and they give gifts, and I was, honestly, Mickey Lana, it blessed me to see that wall of gifts. It really did. Um, and I joked about it with you the whole night, right? But I, my kids and my wife would take a picture. Now, imagine seven people, every gift for 10 years, okay? We have a ton of gifts. If my kids ever forget what gift they got, we have record, okay? We have tons of photo albums, probably 10,000. Not 10,000 pictures. Oh, we have that easy. I'm talking 10,000 photo albums. You know, she loves to take it. When she went to England... Several years ago with some, I couldn't go work and such, but she went with some family and friends. She took in 10 days, 1,300 pictures. She loved pictures. I mean, you do the math on that, 1,300 divided by 10 days, that's 130 pictures a day. And if they are, if she's taking pictures only 13 hours a day, that's 10 pictures an hour. That's probably the amount of pictures I've taken in my life. She loves to take pictures. Now, the reason why she loves to take pictures is because she loves the memories. Uh, so Jim and, and Lydia sent us a, a, a little album of the wedding and such. We couldn't make it, COVID, et cetera. And, and then afterwards, and apparently we are going to be grandparents again. And so we're excited about this. So Lydia's pregnant and they shared it with us in a very cute way. And so I texted him and I said, Jim, we opened our gift and we saw the album. I'm just, congratulations on your new haircut. And I said, JK, congratulate, you're, you know, pregnant. Yeah. But my wife loves to take pictures and those pictures allow us to remember and ponder, and think about, right? That's why we take pictures. Now, some of my kids, instead of taking pictures, well, they probably do both. They take pictures, but they also journal. I'm not a journaler. I don't journal. My wife doesn't journal necessarily, but they love to journal. And the reason why they love to journal is because they want to put down on paper what's going on in their mind. They want to talk about the emotions. You can't really capture emotions in pictures. And so they'll write about their emotions. They'll write about these things. Now, this is so important because sometimes life happens so quickly. When you get my age, I'm going to be 60 in just a few months, okay? Can you believe this? Your pastor is going to be 60. Oh, my goodness. My memory is not the best, but I tell you what, even though I don't journal and I don't take a lot of pictures, my wife does, I've got a lot of memories that I can look back on. You see, Mary the mother of Jesus, not Mary, my wife, but Mary, the mother of Jesus, had the same heart. She loved to journal in her mind. She loved to take pictures with her eyes, little snapshots. And she did that the night that Jesus was born. The Bible tells us that she did. If if you don't believe me, turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read a verse to you. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
She treasured them up. That word, treasured up, uh, is sometimes translated stored up, but it literally means to keep in order to preserve or protect. Things happened that day. I'm going to get to them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have us look at this chapter backwards this morning. So we're starting at the end. We're going to work to the beginning. I hope that's okay with you. You know the story pretty well. You've probably heard it read or read it yourself, studied it. Luke 2, the story of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And so many things happen. Mary is kind of taking pictures. She's journaling, if you will. She's storing these things up to preserve them and protect them. These are precious things for her. And she wants to keep a hold of them for as long as she can. And so she is actually storing them up. And the way the Greek lays it out, how she does that is by pondering about them. It's not like she stores up and ponders. No, she ponders them. And by thinking about them, that's how she's storing them up and hiding them and protecting them, preserving them. These incidents, these truths, these things that happened about the birth of her son, she's storing them up in her heart. But I want you to look at the very first word in that verse. Now, most of your translations, and I actually went through the various translations, and of about 50 translations, only one of them translated differently, but all of the others, so that's 98% if I'm doing my math right, translated, just like mine does, but Mary. Now, the word but indicates that there is a contrast. Now, I just want you to know, think about this, I want you to know that there are two Greek words that they use for contrast. The one that's not used here is the Greek word Allah, A-L-L-A. It literally means but, but it's a strong contrast, almost like an opposite. Like in Proverbs, they use the word but to contrast things in an opposite fashion. But this is a different word. It's not the word Allah. It's the Greek word de. Very slight contrast. Not opposites, just a slight contrast. So what I want to do is I want to ask the question, why is Luke using this word? Because authors of Scripture don't just use words haphazardly and kind of throw them in there. Inspired by the Spirit, they're used purposely. What is, what is Luke's purpose then in using this word? But what is he contrasting? Mary, Mary storing these things up by pondering them. Well, in order to know the answer to that question, we've got to go back and what just happened. Let's look at, the, I'm going to read to you then the two verses preceding verse 19. When they had seen him, that is, the shepherds had seen baby Jesus lying in the manger, they spread the word concerning what they had been told, uh, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured these things up in her heart. You see, when the shepherds, so excited, they were telling everybody, and everybody else were amazed. Now, some translations say they, were, they marveled. In English, we use the word, wow. You know, wow. You open a gift under the Christmas tree, wow. But you see, Mary did more than just say, wow. Because when, you, when you're amazed at something, that doesn't necessarily mean it stays with you. I've gotten some amazing Christmas presents on Christmas for many, many years. 
But in all honesty, I don't remember all of them, and I don't even remember who gave them to me. Honestly, there are times in which I am wearing a Christmas shirt, and someone walks up to me, and they says, oh, I love your shirt, and just by the way they say it, I realize they're probably the ones who gave it to me, but I don't remember. And so my right response is, thank you so much. I really love it, right? You gave it? That's right. Yes, you did. I just don't remember. But there are some gifts I do remember, okay? Let me take you back over 30 years ago to my first Christmas as a married man. I remember a gift that my wife gave me. I don't remember all the gifts that she gave me. I'm sure they were amazing. Wow. But this one I remember, and I'm going to tell you why, up front, why I remember it, because I thought about it. I pondered it in my heart. She gave me a blanket. No, no, no. It wasn't like that pink Christmas blanket I got when I was like seven years old, just wondering in my mind, Mom, Ted, it's Christmas. You gave me a pink blanket for Christmas? Really? I remember that because because I was so disturbed by that. I really did not. It's like... It's like getting underwear or socks for Christmas. You need it. That's why I'm giving it to you, right? Guys, on our pizza swap night, we had one of the we we played Family Feud or you know Family, right? Two sides feuding with one another, and the question was, as a boy, what's your least favorite thing to get on Christmas? And the number one answer was underwear. Um, The number two answer was pink blankets. Okay, it wasn't either, but uh, that if I were done, uh, I, that's what I would put, pink blankets. So I, I happen to remember that, but for a bad reason. I remember this blanket that Meredith gave me because <clears throat> when she gave it to me, she told me a story. And it's the story that I remember. And if I get the story wrong, I'm going to be crucified after the sermon, so Lord help me. But the truth is, she told me and said... Now, we had, so it's Christmas. We got married June 9th of that year. So <coughs> the story she's telling me <coughs> took place before that and maybe a little bit after we got married. So for the whole year beforehand, maybe even longer, maybe it was two years. Anyway, a long time before I got that gift, she was working on this blanket. It's large enough to cover a queen-sized bed, and I have proof of that because we have had a queen-sized bed for a very long time, graduated from a full. When we had enough kids who wanted to climb into bed with us, we realized we needed to graduate to a queen. And so we've had a queen for a long time, and that blanket is worn out. It's in tatters. We still have it, but it's folded up, kept in the top shelf of um, a linen closet, but she worked on it for a year, maybe even longer. And she did it with her grandmother. And her grandmother helped her. And it's made of squares, just tons of squares. Front and back is, is, is beautiful. The front is the squares. The back is the single material. And, and it's beautiful. Now, I am not one that's drawn to blankets, a.k.a. pink blankets at seven years of age. But I tell you what, this blanket I loved because of the story behind it. And ever since that Christmas, I have pondered about that. So my point is, 
when, when you go through an amazing experience in your life, sometimes you may remember it, but sometimes you won't. And the key is whether you ponder, whether you think about these, whether you store it up, whether you look at it, pictures from different angles. And I've looked at pictures in the past and suddenly realized the What's in the background? Someone making a silly face. And I've loved this picture until I discovered they had a silly face in the background, right? But I, I you know, so you're, you're contemplating, you're thinking about this. So here's my question. What are the truths then? What are these events that when the shepherds told other people, they were like, wow. But when Mary heard about it, it says she treasured them up in her heart. See, there's something about the story, there's something about these truths that she thought about. Now, understand this before I share the truth, the story with you, that Mary had already had an encounter by Gabriel, the angel. And in that event, the the angel Gabriel told her, you're going to have a baby, You will not have known a man because this baby will be from the Holy Spirit. And he will sit on the throne of David himself and rule over all Israel. That would mean then the whole kingdom that we have learned about in the Old Testament, Daniel 2, etc., the whole kingdom of God, Jesus is going to rule over it. Can you imagine what Mary is thinking? Joseph... Shortly after that, finds out she's pregnant, wants to divorce her quietly, but an angel appears to him. And in this, the angel says to Joseph in a dream, you're going to call him Jesus. He's from the Spirit of God. You're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Wow. Now, with all of these things in the background, now she has this experience where the shepherds come and tell her these truths. And I'm going I'm to touch on just four truths right now, pretty quickly. If you were to look back there in verse 9, I'm just going to read a, 8, excuse me. I'm going to read a few verses. But it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. More than likely, those types of shepherds would have been the shepherds who oversaw the sheep for sacrifice. Jerusalem is about five miles away. There's fields around, several miles around. They're probably out in the fields outside of the town, or at least close to the town of Bethlehem, um, and the sheep are grazing, and they're living out in the fields. Now, while they're doing their business and just kind of hanging out, it's night. The day is done. They're probably gathered around a campfire, enjoying each other's company. The day is over, but not for them. So much more has yet to happen. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The majesty and the incredible glory of God, which, by the way, shines brighter than the sun, I've read in the Old Testament, And it's this glory of God shines around them, and they're terrified. And the angel immediately says, do not be afraid. Because it says, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. Remember, they're, they're going to be go looking for this child. They're going to go to Bethlehem. They've got to find this child. Where is he going to be? You're going to know who this child is because, here's the sign, you will, <laughs> excuse me, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths. Not clothes, like shirts and pants and socks and no, strips of cloth. They use that to say, to, they use the term swaddling. So they would wrap the baby in these strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had heard them, excuse me, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. In their mind, this is, this is fact, this is true. It's not something, hey, maybe, this is, no, this has happened and we want to see it. They're excited, which the Lord has told us about. The first thing I want us to see here is that the angelic, this is an angelic visitation to shepherds. Mary is thinking about this. What is the significance of angels, the glory of God, the majesty of the king of the universe appearing to shepherds? Now, there's a lot that we could dig into here about God being the shepherd, Jesus himself calling himself the good shepherd, that Jesus himself is the lamb of God that John says takes away the sins of the world. We can look at all of that, and some of this may in fact be true, though the story doesn't tell us. What we do know is that the God of heaven announced the birth of his son, not in the palaces in Jerusalem, but in the fields of Bethlehem to shepherds, to common people. Now, shepherds weren't looked down on like they were in Egypt. Abraham was a shepherd. People, his descendants, all 70 that eventually went into Egypt, his, that, that stayed there for 400-some years, they were shepherds. So shepherds weren't people that you would look down upon, but they were commoners. They weren't royalty. They weren't the nobles of the land. They weren't the statesmen that had the power. They were just common people like you and me. And what that says to me is that this, say, this baby born in Bethlehem is announced from God himself to a common person just like me. Now, I don't know about you, I am a super, super, super common person. I am ordinary. I am not like super gifted at this. And I, as a matter of fact, because of the various businesses that I do and pastoring and such, I, I have had to become like a jack of all trades, master of none type of person. You know, there, there, I, I don't have like this amazing talent that, you know, gets the limelight or, or anything. And I would venture to say most of you are in the same boat with me. We're, you know, we're just, we're common. I'm not a super sinner and I'm not a super saint. I'm in Christ and I'm so grateful for that, but I'm, I'm common. 
And just this baby, this Jesus came to earth. God came to tell people like me and people like you about this Jesus, about this babe born in Bethlehem for the common people. And this is one of the truths. Mary pondered this in her mind, in her heart. She stored it up. This baby is for all people, especially the common ones, just like her. I mean, you, you just read earlier or in the previous chapter, her, the song that she sings, she's a humble servant. You know, who am I? We are the perfect candidates for God's salvation. That's who you are as a common person. God's love from heaven, the God of the universe, reached down to common people like me. So Mary tre treasured that up in her heart. It also says that he is today in the town of David, a savior has been born for you. There are some t-shirts that I do remember, and I might remember this one that I got the other day. And it is this one. It is, it's a bunch of Marvel and DC comic book heroes sitting around shooting the breeze and right in the, you know what they do. They save the world, right? You know, they, you know, from the frost giants and so on. And Jesus is right in the middle and he's, and there's one quote. He says, and that's how I saved the world. And I thought, I love that. Because the world and all of us were thinking about, you know, how this person and that saved the world. And, you know, one day when I was a kid, I, I wanted so much to be one of those superheroes. That was my dream. When I grow up, my job is to be a superhero. Well, good luck on that, Mike. Um, but Jesus, he didn't have to just dream about it. He is a superhero because he was God come in the flesh like you and me. And he really did save the world, not just in some comic book. He saved the world, church. He made the way possible for you and me to be reconciled to God. And Mary treasured this Savior of all people. Wow. Savior. Maybe thinking back, the angel Gabriel appeared to my, my husband in a dream and said, you're going to call him Jesus. And they called him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And this is something Mary treasured up in her heart. He's going to be Christ the Lord. But this Christ the Lord is going to be laid in a manger. The king, the Messiah, the conquering one, the anointed one from God that for hundreds of years... They had been looking forward to Isaiah 700 years before Christ was born. Kind of got this thing rolling, maybe even before, in little hints here and there, all the way back to Genesis 3.15. I'll let you look that one up. But wow, the Savior born. He's going to be Christ, the anointed one, the Lord. There was only one person ever called the Lord, Ha-Adonai in the Hebrew. And that was God himself, Yahweh. And that's who this Jesus is. Christ the Lord, wow, born in a manger. Church, I, I think and I ponder that truth, and it still amazes me today that God would humble himself. Philippians 2 talks of Jesus, excuse me, Paul talks about, you know, how he 
did not hold on to equality with God, but made himself nothing. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself to the point of death. He took on human, stinking, frail flesh like me, a commoner, to save me. And, and that truth, that the king of all of the universe humbled himself and laid in a manger because there was no more room for him. God didn't blow trumpets and announce it in Jerusalem. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born perhaps in a stable, tradition tells us, more, more than likely just in a house that allowed animals on the first floor. But there was no guest room available. I'm not going to get into why I'm, I'm saying that. Maybe you have heard me preach on this before, but the God of heaven not received by all people, basically because they just didn't know. And he's born and laid in a manger. What humility that God would do this. So Mary is storing this truth up in her heart. And then it says that they would find him with a sign. And that sign would be that he would be wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. There have been a number of signs that Mary would have known about. There was a sign that when, excuse me, when Zechariah struggled in his anguish to believe what Gabriel had told him, that he would finally have a son. He was my age or older, I would imagine. His wife would then, after she, was, she got pregnant, she remained in seclusion for, I believe it was five months, an indication that you know she probably had miscarriages in the past, and she wanted to make sure that didn't happen this time, and it didn't. Zechariah struggled, and because of that lack of faith, and I get that lack of faith, I can't judge him. You know, when you're an older person, and you have been through years and years of God saying no, and when he finally says yes, it's like, whoa, 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 what, wait, really? Really? And when you're young, and you haven't had all of those, no, no, wait, wait, it's like, man, I, have, I am full of faith. And so Mary, just a, an older teenager, somewhere in that age, and, well, I'm your, I don't care about, yeah, so I'm a virgin, and this is going to be from the Holy, I can embrace that, and, and the shame, wow, I imagine that's going to be hard, but she's young, and she's full of faith, and yes, but when you're tried and tested, and sometimes when life gets so hard, you just kind of, okay, I'm just kind of, I, I think I'm believing, but I'm not sure, and see, this is where Zechariah was, and so the angel gave him a sign, and that sign was that he wouldn't talk for nine months. Maybe a blessing to his wife. I don't know. <laughs> but for nine months, couldn't talk. He was a priest, which meant he was also a teacher. So the degree to which he could teach, you know, he did everything on the chalkboard. 
finally, after nine months of silence, when the baby is born, a miracle happens. And God uses that miracle to get everyone's attention. This young child is, must be very special because it was coupled with an amazing miracle. Zechariah, his father, can now speak. And as soon as he writes his name is John, that's when he can, you know, more than just coincidental, sorry, skeptics, this is truly a miracle from God. Something is special about this man, this young boy. And so Mary heard about this because she spent at least three months with Elizabeth, helping her. And, and I'm sure that she heard, if she wasn't there, she heard about the birth of, and, and all that happened, and I'm sure... She remembers this, and now there's another sign, and this sign is going to point to something really special, and that something really special is her son. There's a third sign that Mary receives, and, and it, she receives it later. So she doesn't have that in mind when this happens, but if you were to turn the page, Simeon, just about 40 days later, when they're in Jerusalem, making sacrifices for Mary's purification 40 days after a, a male is born. She's in the temple, and Simeon walks up to her. And Simeon says this. He says, this child, he's filled with the Spirit, and he begins to prophesy, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign. Jesus himself would be a sign that will be spoken against. Because Jesus, Jesus will become a sign against hypocrisy. Jesus, who healed on the Sabbath and was ridiculed for that, would become a sign of people rejecting him. And what he would teach, because they didn't measure up with his expectations. You know, the Messiah would be born. The Messiah would do this. The Messiah would teach this. So people think you're the Messiah, Jesus, but just confess you're not. Because you wouldn't break the Sabbath. And their expectations made Jesus be just some cult leader. And he would be a sign that would be spoken against. He would be a sign as he hung on that cross of rejection of mankind in their rebellion against God, saying, no, you are not. You are not my savior. You saved others. Save yourself. And at that moment, he was in the process of saving them, dying on a cross. How ironic. He would become a sign that others would speak against. So Jesus is a sign. Now, many of us wear a sign of the sign. We wear a cross, is what I'm saying, of Jesus that represents Jesus. Did you realize how ironic it is that a picture of a cross would inspire hope? I mean, the cross was a Roman means of, of execution, a brutal means of execution. You were a criminal of the worst kind if you were executed this way. And yet somehow, early in the church, the cross became a sign of hope 
Why? There's only one reason, church. Early in the church, they believed that Jesus never stayed on the cross or in the grave. He rose from the dead. Now, we know that this is in the early church because as Jerusalem has been expanding, as they've been building and, and adding on to the city, <coughs> excuse me, their bulldozers have come across uh, graveyards. Uh, um, what, what do you call them? Um, Ossuaries, uh, excuse me, the uh, tombs in which families would be buried in ossuaries. Now, an ossuary was only about two feet, two feet long, a foot wide, and a foot deep. You did not bury the, I mean, you're thinking, who's that short? Okay, listen, that's where you put their bones. So you would bury someone, the flesh would decay, you would, and I'm sure with sterilized gloves, you would gather the bones. And you would put them now a year later about, put them in the ossuary. And this ossuary was granted, it was hard, maybe marble, stone with a heavy lid on it. When they broke into these tombs, tucked away in caves, families would be buried together. And they discovered on, on the underside of some of these ossuary lids, crosses. They also found coins dated in the early 40s AD, and all of the study um, testing when, it, when the crosses were engraved, you can actually do stuff like that. They have discovered that within about 15 years of Jesus' resurrection, the cross had become very, a very popular symbol, not just of Jesus, a sign of a sign, but a sign of his resurrection and therefore of hope. Isn't that amazing? The resurrection was not something that through a process of being retold for decades turned into a bodily resurrection. The church embraced it as a bodily resurrection, as an amazing miracle from the very beginning. And so Mary hears about this as a sign, and they're going to find this baby because of this sign. He's going to be wrapped in strips of cloth, laying in a manger. Now here's why I'm wanting us to look at all of this. Because there are times in which as you go through events in your life, you're going to step back and say, wow, that was so cool. You may even say, that was a God thing. Only God could do that. But when you go through your dark hours, hopefully those wow events you will have taken the time to ponder them and treasure them and store them up in your heart. Because if you don't, if you don't take these amazing truths, not just events in your life, but truths from Scripture and ponder them in your heart, it's going to be easy to forget them. Luke doesn't tell us much about Mary. I'm going to get into one other story next week, but he doesn't tell us much more about Mary. He kind of just leaves us with this picture of Mary, such a good mother, pondering these things in her heart. But the truth is, Mark tells us there was a time in which Jesus' fame had grown, but he was gathering people in homes, and he was teaching them the word. He was casting out demons. 
the religious people were looking at him saying, you're not the Messiah, you are, you are of Beelzebub, and by the power of Beelzebub, you're casting out demons. Jesus' popularity was great among the common people, but he was a menace to the religious leaders of his day. And his mother, all we know, Mark tells us that Mary and her family became very concerned. And they said this, Jesus is out of his mind. What is he doing? Mary, who had pondered these things in her heart, she had a vision for her son. Come on, moms, dads, you have visions for your children, right? And when it doesn't quite go that way, son, daughter, what are you doing? And I imagine this is Mary. What, what are you? You're the savior. You're the rescuer. You're, you're going to be sitting on David's throne. What are you sitting in a common person's house? You don't even have time to even eat. Something's wrong here. You're not currying favor with the leaders. And if you're going to become this political leader who's going to rule the world, you, you got to start there. You need their backing. And you should, I don't know all of the thoughts that she had. But if she had pondered these things in her heart, she had failed to go back to those, those little details, Savior of the world, saving his people from their sins, born in a manger. So what would be wrong with this baby born in a manger now sitting in a common person's house so that the common person would hear him and grasp a hold of these truths and be changed? That's why they flocked to him. I'm saying this because so many times we can store up truths and, and, and evidences of God's great love for us and then later in life, it's almost as if we have forgotten all about those. And I'm just going to encourage you. Think, ponder, store these truths up in your heart. Store up the truth that God is love. And I'm going to encourage you, expect God to love you. But be so careful in how you expect him to demonstrate that love. Should we conclude that if God loves me, then no bad things would happen in my life? Good luck with that. You've derailed your life. And getting back on course is going to require you to come back to these simple truths of God's love. And what I call, and you've heard me say this, the drama of his grace. Because I firmly believe in God's love for us. But we live in a fallen, broken world with fallen, broken people around us. Our children are broken. Our spouse is broken. Some of you are thinking, our spouse is especially broken. The truth is our spouse is broken, and we are broken. And God will regularly allow events in our life, put our backs up against the proverbial wall, just so that he can demonstrate his grace in your life. Because he is more concerned about your character than your comfort. And Mary was a perfect example of this. All of her life, as she, or all of her son's life, these expectations of, of rising up and then suddenly she's standing. John tells us, Luke doesn't. 
But John tells us that she is standing before the cross and she sees her son die. Simeon, he foresees this. Because the part of the prophecy that I didn't read to you says this, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And when Jesus died on the cross, I can't imagine being a mother and seeing your child, your son, there are all of these expectations and, and suddenly he's dead and, and it's like, God, where are you? I, I don't understand. I treasured all of these things up and what did you do? And she was heartbroken. A sword had pierced her own soul as she saw her eldest son dying on that cross along with all of her expectations for him. And church, we can have these expectations. Expect God to love you. But be so careful when you start laying out your expectations of how he's going to do it. Because God will allow these opportunities to demonstrate his grace, this drama of grace, to draw you closer to him and mold you. And Mary, as she's standing before the cross, is being molded more and more into the image of her son. And she doesn't even know it. And these expectations are dying in her. But I'm going to tell you that when your expectations are pulverized and ground into the dust and you're wondering, God, where is your love now? God doesn't wait too long. For Mary, it was only three days. But God doesn't wait too long. Because you, my child, he says, you've been pondering these truths in your heart and I have not left you. And I'm here right now, and, 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 and I'm on the edge of my seat. Just wait, just wait, just can you hang on? I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. You can't see it. But you see, Jesus had to die. There was no other way. Can you imagine if he didn't? And how excited Mary would be only to discover that she would die in her sins and never spend another hour with her son. But through that death, for all of eternity, she would be able to relish in this love and grace of God, knowing she was wrong, that her son wasn't some prince on a white horse at the end of his earthly days. He was a prince on a white horse at the end of the age coming for her, coming for his precious bride. You and me, as we struggle with this drama of God's grace and learning to love him and trusting in these truths and constantly daily pondering them, not just saying, wow, that is amazing, but the next day saying, God, so what are you saying to me? What truths are you demonstrating through your word? Thank you that you love me. I will not forsake that truth. Church, don't forsake that truth. Go back to these truths that you have learned, even when you were young, and ponder them in your heart. And let God solidify those truths and allow him to pour out his grace upon you every single day, whether you can see it or not. Be like Mary. You may need to allow him to crush some of those dreams. But not long later, as with Mary, 
He will resurrect them and make them look so different. I'm sure Mary had no idea the cross, the resurrection, salvation. That's how she's going to do it. What an amazing story of God's redemption. Mm. Can you stand with me? For some of you, just going through the stuff of life, you needed to hear this story of God's grace, of Mary's pondering, and just come back to this simple truth. Father, I just ask right now, all of these truths in your word, the stuff that we're going through right now does not erase any of that. We may find certain dreams or expectations being crucified. And we're going to need to say that's okay. But this we know. As Christ was raised again from the dead, you have not forsaken us. You have such good plans and intentions, whether we see them or not, because you're a God that redeems. You're a God of grace, of second chances. You're a God that's not just rooted in love, you are love. That's the God that stepped into my world, became a baby to rescue me. On this, I will ponder. And as we do that, Father, I just pray, restore some hope. Restore these forgotten truths. Restore us in you, longing for you, not keeping you at arm's length anymore, but hearing your spirit calling us and now running back to you. So call us, God. Call us through these truths. Back to the God of truth. That's my prayer for every one of us here this morning, God. Just keep calling us. Just keep reminding us. And may we keep pondering. In Jesus' name I pray.